Hello and welcome oh. to the Sequin Podcast. I'm here with my friend Lee. Lee likes to kill deer. Here with me. <laughs> I caught that. So that's going to be the opening to the podcast. Yeah, that, was that was a great intro. Yeah, that was uh, one and only Bill Thompson with Spartan Forge. Great introduction there. How are you? Uh, so we've got Bill. We've got Johnny Stewart. We've got Thomas Clementes. Thomas Clements. Uh, if y'all don't know him, he's been working with us for a couple of years, um, mostly behind the camera. He's pretty talented, to say the least. And then we're going to have Garrett, DIY sportsman, on here once Johnny hops off, because Johnny has to go hunt a big deer. He's got some bow rest issues that he's having to address. But before we get into um, an update on North Dakota, being in hunt camp up here, kind of what everybody's hunting stories and all that th- that's going on, I'm going to put a disclaimer in this podcast that this is for sure rated pg-13 um if but but i would not recommend that if you're uh i don't know i'm just putting a disclaimer on this that we're telling the story about an incident that happened here in north dakota that was probably one of the worst incidences of my life and could have gone really bad and for the sake of the story and everything that happened and everything we're going to unpack in that incident uh there's just going to be certain things language things like that that are not you don't want someone younger to, to listen to it's it's not a pretty story um so i'm just putting that disclaimer out there that this is going to be i mean there's just going to be stuff talked about in this that uh you know youthful ears do not want to listen to and these are not going to be our words these are the gentleman's words that we ran into so we're going to unpack that later but i want to jump into uh everybody's hunting experiences here in North Dakota first. It's been a grind from all ends. Johnny, I kind of want to hear your perspective on everything and hear about your encounter yesterday. Well, this is my first time here. I'm thankful that Bill invited us out. uh, And I'd like to come back some more, like he said, maybe every uh, season opener. Um, But I wasn't ready for how green it is. I'm used to hunting, you know, November, December, and I've been in similar type of habitat, Minnesota, um, Iowa, Burr Oaks, big drainages. And I guess um, I'm usually out when there's snow or all the leaves are off. So to me, it's like that's 100% visual. Like you could see through the woods that that would be 100% of snows on the ground. I think visually um, it's 80, 85% less that you could see in the woods. So it's really thick out there, and I'm just not used to that. Um, but, you know, you adapt with that. Um, we did a lot of scouting. Me and Bill were watching deer in the fields. The first few, That was last week we got here. And a fair amount of deer were out in the fields, the bean fields feeding. But I think um, the I day like before. we're in the middle of a shift is kind of what I think you're getting at. Yeah, I, I think they were still in the beans and the acorns started falling. To me, there's two things that made them kind of stay in the timber longer. Um, I think the beans, uh, I mean, the acorns are falling and... I think they know there's it's hunting season. So um, listening to Garrett, he'd been out here a few years, and he said the, the hunters are increasing. And the first day, first, second day, I'm like, holy shit, is this the rut? I mean, is it – there's so many guys everywhere. So riding the roads and this and that and the acorn. So um, even Drew did a lot of riding around and not seeing a lot in the fields, and, and, that t- uh, and the acorns have something to do with that. But I think also the, the hunting pressure. So, yeah, I did a lot of scouting. Um do you think the beans are starting to turn too, and that's kind of what's 
transition I, them off the beans and more on the acorns yet? I, I think it's just it's a after eating beans all summer. I mean, you're ready for a different meal, really. Yeah. I mean, and there there's not a lot of tannin in the acorns. They they're pretty sweet, and it's like um, it's I think what they've been waiting for. You know, a, just a change in pace. Um, they don't have a to variety. expose themselves either. Yeah, and like that's what we were saying. They stay in the in the forest longer and and stuff like that. So I was essentially looking for patches of oaks. Um, you could see some on on the app, you know, on the Spartan Forge app. You can kind of tell um, if you get an area with the leaves off, you can kind of see the, the bur oaks, how they're not just vertically. Like, you can kind of see how the arms of the trees kind of go out all crazy and stuff like that. So I'd, I'd look for oaks, and that's kind of where I started my scout and was looking for oaks, but a lot of the bigger forest is oaks. And so I started focusing on smaller pieces, and I think that's what Drew was um, kind of doing, looking for smaller pieces. So I found an area that had um, a small piece of oaks, but a lot of uh, grassland, willows, CRP or whatever around it. And so I got into them oaks, and they were dropping, and it was kind of thick in there. So uh, we did find one opening to the eastern side of them, them oaks, a um, little grassy area. And you could tell, like, there was fresh deer droppings in there. The deer just... The acorns have been down for four days, and they're just starting to feed grassy area on the edge of the um, the timber patch. And so I said, "This is great." I mean, there's beans to the uh, to the west, this and that. I said, "There's oaks, there's water around." So I just figured I'm going to set up there for a few days. I did morning and evening sits, and and I was really pumped about you know. And I end up seeing a lot of doe. That was um, when was the first day? Friday. Yeah. So that was uh, Friday. We found that spot Friday morning. So I did it there. I sat there uh, Friday Friday morning or Friday evening, Saturday, Sunday. So seen a pile of does, morning and evening hunt, easy, easy access from the north, just dropped down in the timber. And uh, I think the, the last morning that I hunted there, um, I'm parking to the west, walking east a few hundred yards and dropping south into that timber. And uh, the morning I hunted there, um, as I was parking, I looked to the west from my parking spot and there was a tree belt that run east and west and i seen a good buck and i didn't know uh you know it was two buck 150 i would say and i think he was heading kind of maybe into my timber whatever da, da, da. so um i hunted that morning got out reading the app studying all the area around and to the north of where he was there was a, another patch of oaks and so i drove up there and i peeped that out and uh there was a bean field to the north and um I figured since he was on that side of the road from where I parked to the west of me, I figured he would headed up into that timber. And so um, just always reading those maps, always studying and thinking where are the deer is the biggest thing you could do. You know, so, um, yeah, that was yesterday. I uh, decided that it's probably a good spot to hunt because he was on the west side of, of the, the north-south road that I parked. He was he was on the west side, and he I figured he went up into that timber and, like I said, I started north uh, at the beans, and I walked in a timber, and there was a there was already a scrape. Like he's scraping. So he had, do you think he sh- he shed hard or shed velvet yet? No, he's still got velvet. He's scraping in velvet. Yeah, and Garrett was saying uh, that some these deer will start scraping in September. Right? I've got pictures of deer in velvet that are hitting scrapes right now in uh, Michigan. Yeah, I think people. I think that's a misconception. Like I guess people don't realize how early they'll start hitting scrapes. That I think that was the first for me. I, I don't think I've ever seen the scrape i mean the ground was pawed that early but garrett said that's out here they tend to see that a lot so 
I found a scrape and um, actually called Drew. I said, hey, um, I know where this buck's at because it, it was already like 6 o'clock. Uh, I was scouting right now, whatever. It was late in the day. And I was. I said, Do you, are you hooked up with a spot? Because he was kind of up in the air where he wanted to hunt. Because um, I was going to tell him to go hunt that because I still had my stand and other, other patch of oaks to the east. Um, and it was 6 o'clock. And I said, man, time's getting late. He said, no, I'm good to where I'm at. He said, you going to hunt it? I'm like, yeah, but I got to go pull my stand. So I run, pulled my stand, and uh, got back to that bean field and just went south in there into that timber 50 yards where that scrape was, jumped up in a tree. And um, I think it was quarter to seven when I got set up. And um, So pretty late. Yeah. Pretty late. Real late. But I was only in the timber from the beans, you know. Uh, but it was a good situation. There was a scrape there, and there was acorns right there. And they're going to stage up in there, you know, before they get out into the, to the it, beans. You was know. it pretty quiet getting in there? Yeah, it was kind of like an old pasture. You could see through through there pretty good and just kind of high grass. There was beds all over. I figured he was hanging out, especially with them acorns dropping. He's just laying in there, maybe checking the beans. Like, he's in there. It's what we built. Uh, figured it was like 40 acres. That was it, you know, a piece of timber. And so <clears throat> I got up my tree. I was only 15 feet. And... Uh, you know, got later and a, and a doe come, I was facing south, looking back into the timber. The beans were to my back, the north. And I looked west to my right, and uh, here come a doe. She come kind of right toward my stand, and she didn't like the smell right at the bottom of my tree, you know, whatever. I had another stick laying there I didn't use. So she actually went north toward the beans, maybe 15 yards, because the wind was out of the south, blown in. So um, she wanted to smell my tree, you know get downwind and so but I, she didn't spook so she went off to the west um and i think that buck was standing or she went off to the east she come from the west i think the buck was standing there um watching the whole thing how the doe like smelled around my tree and acted weird and then went out toward the beans kind of downwind to me and smelled but she didn't smell nothing so i think that buck was kind of standing there watching the whole ordeal and so he didn't stay in the timber. He didn't, you know, 10 minutes later, she went out of sight. He didn't stay in the timber. He kind of went out to the, uh, um, toward the bean field to, to get downwind him even further and, and, and see if he could smell me. And it just happened really fast. I didn't even have a, a, a range at that distance. It was getting late and there was some brushy and shit, some weeds, but he stopped at me. I'm thinking it was 35, you know, and he was like damn near downwind to me. Wind's going that way. He stopped behind a tree and he started walking out again. I said, I got to take a shot. He's going to be straight downwind to me and it's going to be game over. And I just grunted at him and, and he stopped head behind a tree. And I had to, I got my bow back and I'm trying to find a hole. I had maybe pie plate size area to shoot through. So it was pretty tight, pretty, pretty tight thick in there. there. Yeah. yeah. Cause he was in the edge of that field and you know, uh, so I guess 30, you know, and how far do you think he was? I think he was probably 35. Mm. Did it go under him? Yeah, it just and he run like Dang, right. He ran right toward me. Um, Couldn't grab another arrow. And here's what the deal was: I took my quiver off and hung it in the tree, which usually I always leave it on. I don't know why I took it off. Because um, he ran right toward the tree, right toward my tree. Because I guess he felt safe enough that I was, you know, he was downwind of me and he, he didn't smell anything there. So, but that was when he heard me shoot. That was a safe distance into the wind from the run. So how far is he at, at this point? So he went 35, and he run 
right toward my tree and like right underneath my tree and right past me like 10 yards and he stopped like oh 1001 1002 like i if i had my quiver on like after the shot i would immediately knock another, another one and he would have been here i would have spun and shot him at 8 10 12 yards you know but you know it, it wasn't meant to be and that, that stuff like that <clears throat> is like i don't you know cry over spilled milk it's done it's going i'm going to go in there today uh, the wind changed north so we sat here and had a um last night kind of talked about the plan how to get in there and so i'm going to try to get after him again um so you really don't you don't think that it really boogered him that bad no i think he's uh i don't think it really messed him up and i think he's in there and um but i think i'm gonna shoot him tonight yeah. it, it's been tough out here i know uh drew's out there right now and that's why he's not on this podcast because he he's on a deer that he's trying to get on and he just i mean everybody in camp has just been grinding mm-hmm. i yep. know i mean everybody's been been hunting hard and it's it's been tough um i've got some buddies that that live up here and they're they're just saying in general they're not seeing as many bucks this year as they used mm-hmm. to I, you know for whatever reason i don't i don't know but um you know we were driving around every morning just glass and glass and glass and we drove around yesterday for two hours never saw a single deer i think someone said that the winter kill was, was pretty bad a little bit heavier this year than previous years and mm-hmm. some of the areas the elk sign is just like so ridiculous and you know and you're out like i said it's like i call it a green jungle you're out going in the forest in, in certain areas um to find sign and like what sign are you looking for there's no rubs made yet there's yeah. really no scrapes opened up i'm looking for deer droppings fresh deer droppings where they're feeding you know getting a milk like that's all it's like so weird i'm not used to hunting like that you know this early in the year yeah yeah without having cameras we're not running cameras we don't have the. we're kind of everybody's just kind of like you said grinding checking fields and edges of fields and just using your woodsmanship your knowledge uh to get set up on a deer not like the usual like you said even with your hunt it's not your usual hunt you know the deer you know where he's at it's kind of like we're all on the same page where like even that wood piece of timber that i'm going in tonight like i don't even know what it looks like further in there it's like Mm -hmm. you know it's like this big blind spot in the in um that in your head like you don't have a vision just what's going on keep your intrusion showed so down and not not yeah and it's not like we scouted that last year i know exactly where he's but it's like and i think everybody's in that same situation like this is all new and we're trying to go off our woodsmanship and how what we know about deer to get on these deer with we don't have no cameras we didn't nobody set a camera i think we set one out mm-hmm. on bill and you know nobody's been out here really scouting um for weeks ahead of time so everything is like we're just like dropped out of the plane like go go at it which yeah. is, it makes it a lot tougher and it's not like we're in a rut and we're looking for oh man they're scraping here all this he was chasing the doe it's like there's all that isn't not even happening in in you know I think it makes it really tough. I see if we were out here for a few weeks, someone run twenty cameras, like you can figure it out. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, their their ranges are so small this time of year that it's like you're having almost land on top of them mm-hmm. a lot of times. But the thing is, too, is like you're having to shoot from the hip because if you go busting in these new patches of timber, it's done. Deer's gone. Yeah. You know, if he's staying in that forty forty acre block of woods, and you, you go to through there to get lay eyes on it, and then he's He's going to be four miles down the road. And I like some of the scouting that we did, we'd, we'd go from the bean, fights, bean fields, we go in 40, 50 yards, and that's it. Yeah. Back out because you can't – that's it. I think that's a mistake a lot of people make is they just barge into the middle, just go too far. Like even with uh, – this this is, as you know, this is not the suburbs. It's far from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even back home in the suburbs, it's like we're 
trying to keep our intrusion to an, as, as minimal as possible. So we're just hunting a lot of edges and trying to keep our path in and out as, as small as possible. And that's, that's something that's unanimous across, across the map for deer hunting. Um, it's kind of a similar, there's just similar tactics that, that kind of apply across the board. The place that, that Tom and I have been hunting the last, I guess we hunted that place like three days straight, uh, is yeah. a place I, I came out here last year, um, bounced around to a bunch of different places, some unposted private, um, got permission on a couple of places. I got a buddy out here that's got some permission on some places and we just kind of mixed bag of stuff, just went all around, put a camera out last year and got a picture of this buck that was he 135 ish 140 maybe last year and he he may have put on a little bit this year um and but he when he was in there last summer he was locked in there heavy and so uh that was like kind of the first place that we went to was back to this little tree belt where there was you know some buck summering and stuff um that buck was in there a buddy of mine laid eyes on him and he had shed velvet like the first day we went to hunt in there mm-hmm. and i think that started to change his pattern too yeah. like if he was locked in there more and, and velvet in his summertime pattern i think when they shed they it's just it, it's a trigger in them that they start branching out so i i think that deer was a was a timing deal where uh he was still using that area but he was just hitting a bunch of other places and kind of you know expanding his range and we did everything we possibly could to hunt that tree belt and i feel like we hunted it really smart um the first day we hunted in a stand, we hung a stand and the removed our stand and, and we're going to hunt it the next day. The wind was wrong. You and I talked about that. Mm-hmm. And we came in from the North and just kept the wind in our face and, and tucked into some weeds that butted up to the beans. And I feel like we put ourselves in a really good position to kill that deer. We played it right. I mean, if he would have done what he did opening night, the last two, the, the two nights after what he did opening night where he came out at, we would have been in position to have yeah. a chance at him. And he just changed. Um, so I just, I think that there's a lot going on right now. There's a transition of, uh, beans are, are yelling up. They're kind of getting out of those. They're getting into the acorns. Acorns are falling. They're shedding velvet. There's just everything. Yeah. The hunting pressure. There's, there's a lot going on right now mm-hmm. that I think is, uh, you know, kind of making it uh, difficult, uh, to kind of figure it out and get on them. But, um, Bill, have you, what's your what's your two cents on what's going on <clears throat> yeah sorry i keep coughing in the background here no, i'm feeling good. well uh i think you guys are pretty much absolutely right it's you know bean like i see them mostly in alfalfa but alfalfa and beans and then some canola and those crops are either starting to be harvested they're turning as you said and the acorns i mean are insane like even last night i was sitting in the tree and just freezes and you hear 20 acorns fall yeah and that just makes them move to these islands of acorns. And then on top of that, you know, the bachelor groups now, velvet's peeling, testosterone's rising, and they're more intolerant of each other than they were a week ago. Mm-hmm. You know, a week or two ago, they're, breed- they're, they're, they're grooming each other. And now, they, you know, they're starting to kind of get sick of each other. And that velvet peels, that testosterone goes up. And then, you know. The buck we killed was, was by himself. I'm sure he was in a bachelor group, but when he came in, he was, he was all by himself. So. Yeah, the buck I saw earlier this week, too, was yeah. by himself. They're um, starting to break up for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we actually, um, so we, we killed a buck yesterday. One of the coolest hunts I've ever had. We found, um, got on a the river. There was some bedding, obviously along the river, some timber, and it was just a, a big pinch where they were coming into this cornfield, this cornfield, the edge of this cornfield tore up, you said destroyed. Yeah. There was, there was 
uh, tracks, fresh poop the whole way down the corn edge and, and tons of cobs that were just ripped off or exposed and half of them eaten. I mean, they were smashing this corn. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was a lot of deer in there and we, we just, I mean, we just dove into it blind. I mean, we obviously looked at the Spartan forge map and, um, you know, found the pinch dove in and it was kind of funny. Like I, I think I got tunnel vision on like, we brought in our sticks and our, our tethered platforms, all that stuff. And we're like looking for the right tree. Well, sometimes that's like, that's not an option. Like you got to make something happen. I was looking at trying to get on the ground and tuck up against some brush and this, this big tree that would kind of give us a, a backdrop to blend into. And Thomas was the one that was like, there's a, there's big, big bur oaks in there. Yeah. And Thomas was the one who was like, shimmy up that tree, stand on a, on a limb. Yeah. And I was like, hot damn, you might be on to something here, boy. Yeah. <laughs> it was cool. Oh, yeah, it was a fun hunt. I mean, it was just one of them, we got down in that bottom, and it was about, I don't know, 80 yards of flat ground right next to the riverbank, about maybe three-quarter acre all the way around. Yeah. And there was probably 20 different trails running through there, and it was just one of them spots between bedding and food. It was, like, guaranteed you're going to find something. And, well, uh, oh, yeah, go ahead. I'm going to jump off here. I'm going to get after that. Buck's probably. You, you got a deer to kill tonight. Probably, you don't need to be podcasting. We all have a deer to kill tonight, except for uh, <laughs> Lee Ellis. Well, thanks there. for having me, guys. Yeah, appreciate you being on. All right. Thanks, Johnny. Yep. We're going to have Garrett with uh, Do It Yourself Sportsman hop on. And I think, um, I think, I mean, do you guys want to transition over to kind of what happened yesterday? Absolutely. Um, Bill, you, you're, you can't, you know, you, you know what happened. Obviously you know what happened. Garrett, you have a pretty good idea. I got pieces of it. Yeah. Pieces. Yeah. What, what, what did you kind of, what was your perspective on? My perspective was basically sitting next to Bill and Bill just like being totally flabbergasted at like what is going on right now? Getting these, you know, like messages from you and trying to figure out what was happening. Is, is this a real story? Is this not a real story? Do I need to do something? Concurrently. My um, my fiance was looking for her dog at the time, and what what happened yesterday? Something crazy. Ha- oh yeah, she got concurrently at the exact same time as you're messaging me. My fiance had um, lost her dog the night before, and um, he's old. And uh, I told her to get on like the Ring app, and you can post on the Ring app like, "Hey, lost dog in the area." So if someone sees the dog, they can use the Ring app. And uh, <clears throat> she had found it like wait, like two minutes, three minutes later. Like thanks for technology, she found it on the other side of town. So I was coordinating these two things, and while you were tell- talking to me about this, my fiance was saying, "Well, this guy says he doesn't know if he trusts me, and he wants me to come to his house to get the dog." And I was like, "Don't do that. You don't." Two go, situations where someone don't was do that. Like these. So this going was happening to someone concurrently. Else's house. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So uh, I was. I think it piled up for me. And um, so I apologize for yesterday because I kept asking you guys if you were BSing me. I wanted to reach through the phone and choke you. Yeah, I was I getting so frustrated because you just <laughs> I, which, I can imagine. which I understand your perspective because like the things we were telling you were absurd. And, yeah, and I and you're a bit of a prankster. Yeah, that's yeah. It wouldn't be the first time you pranked me. No. Yeah. So I, I I get how you would, but I was like trying to say everything. I'm like in my mind, like what can I say that he knows I'm serious? So I heard Thomas say in the background. Dude, we're not joking. Yeah. And when he said that, I think I, I think Johnny or someone else heard it, and or maybe it was Ashley, and he looked at me and said, "This is real." Yeah. So Garrett, you just from 
hearing phone conversations with Bill is kind of your yeah. how you've gotten your two cents on the story. Yep. Okay. So um, we'll start from the beginning, and I want this to be kind of like a, a lesson, dude. There, my biggest takeaways are looking back of like what would I have done different, and that's. I want to unpack the story, but I also want to look at like, what could we have done different? And I hope that people hear this and it sinks in that it's like when you're out there on your next hunting trip, that you're careful about your surroundings and what's going on. Because the situation we found ourselves in is one that I, I grew up in Atlanta. You'd think that Atlanta, Georgia would be like where something like this would happen. Yet it happened at seven forty-five in the morning in the middle of nowhere, North Dakota. So that's what I want people to learn. Take away from this is, uh, try to just be aware of your surroundings and have a takeaway of maybe you don't find yourself in the position that we found ourselves in. So kind of like we were just telling Johnny, we've been hunting this tree belt area. I know I've, I was asking Garrett, I was asking your advice mm-hmm. on kind of how you'd handle the situation of us hunting in there with the winds and things like that. Um, there was a couple of good bucks in there and it was the best thing we had going. We were focusing in on that area, spending a lot of time in there, making adjustments kind of based on playing the wind and things like that. Um, so we, we got up early yesterday morning and drove out there at sunrise to hopefully get a glimpse of this buck and see kind of where he's, you know, feeding and maybe going to bed or just catch a glimpse of him, get an idea of what he's doing. So we're driving around and we drive around for a couple hours. We cover, you know, a a big area. We're just cruising, glassing, cruising, glassing, trying to find something. And we, uh, we were going to change spots. So we were going to change spots. So we, uh, we're going to go pull our stand. So I pull over, we're on this, you know, just dirt road. There's like change spots, but for the same deer, like same, yeah, same, well, actually same area. So the deer could totally be in this other block of trees, but, um, we were just changing it up. Wind had been real bad. Yeah. And we weren't getting anywhere. So we were going to pull the set and, just basically regroup kind of start fresh get get into a new new block of timber so we pull over on the side of the road keep in mind we've been driving around for two hours and haven't stopped for for you know except to glass for a few seconds here and there yep we pull over on the side of the road at this place we've been hunting for the last several days and we're sitting on the side of the road in the car and i'm in a rental car it's in like a nissan is it an altima or what is that thing altima um it's got Colorado plates. Colorado plates on it, so it screams like out of town, or it's not like you know your North Dakota truck or just something that would you know be normal here. So pull over to the side of the road. I'm about to hop out and go grab this stand, and this truck comes down the road, and we're with a we're with a local buddy of mine out here. It's me, Thomas, and our local buddy. Um, this truck's coming down the road, and I'm like, you know, oh, he's he's just gonna pass on by. And my buddy in the back was like, I think he's going to stop, dude. And so this guy stops and we roll the windows down just to, in, in every interaction I've had with anybody up here up to this point has been nothing but like extremely nice farmers. We've talked to everyone's been super cool. Have not have yet to meet somebody, you know, that was, that was not extremely nice. <clears throat> That's generally the sentiment up here. I mean, yeah. People are pretty welcoming. Right. So we, start to that that's kind of what my expectation was oh this guy's just wanting to say oh you know hey uh you know how's the hunting going or this study or whatever whatever and um he rolls down the window 
and the first thing he asked is like, "What what are you doing?" What he's like, "What are y'all doing here?" And we were like, "Well, you know, we're hunting, trying to find deer or something like that." And the first thing he asked is like, "Well, how much how much money do you have?" And he's like, "He's like, I, I've got deer. How much how much money you got? How much money are you willing to pay?" It's like the first thing he said. <laughs> and we were like, "I was like, well, you know, we we typically get permission. We you know." bounce around to some unposted private maybe some public every now and then i was We've like we've got a helicopter coming in this afternoon <laughs> to drop a deer <laughs> off <laughs> to drop a deer off um <laughs> but that's kind of our styles like we typically i was like we don't really pay to, to right. go hunt um and so he immediately said and i'm gonna i'm gonna do my best to keep the language at a minimum here um it's kind of hard not to just for the how the story happened but um he basically was like he said you know it's it's rude to not he said, he said, get the F out of your car. And he was like, it's rude to not, you know, introduce yourself and shake your hand to, to someone around here. He's like, get the F out of your car. And at that point I was like, I was just like, whoa, that, you know, I'm like, all right, well let's get out of the car and, you know, shake this guy's hand, whatever, keep the situation calm, have him go on his merry way. So we get out, I get out, Thomas gets out. My buddy that is a local gets out. And this guy immediately starts claiming he owns all of the land. Uh, everywhere we've been hunting, he's claiming he owns all of the property. And he's got a beer in his hand. First off, when he gets out of his truck, he's got a beer in his 745 hand. 7.45 in the morning. 7.45 in the morning. You can tell that he is very intoxicated. And I'll give a little more. We know a lot more about this guy now on the other side of the story. And we know that he was seen the night before 12 hours earlier, extremely intoxicated. So this has been going on for 12 hours now. We also know that it's not just alcohol that this guy. Concoction uh, of things. Yeah. There's other uh, chemical substances that this guy is on. And so we can clearly tell early on that he's not in the right state of mind. It's, you know, it it was, it was clear very early. But it's one of them things is, you know, we've known the guy for 45 seconds. Yeah. And, the guy was saying things that were off the wall, but not super aggressive in his tone, you know, because he uh, obviously the boy's hammered. But he's, and it's one of them things like I've met farmers, you know, being around that community that are just blunt and they're like, you know, shake a man's hand when you meet him. And that's just, they're nice people, but that's yeah. just the way they are. They're direct, they're blunt, and they want to be up front. They're just a man's man. Yeah, yeah. So to me, like when the guy said, you know, get out of the car and shake <clears> your hand, I'm not thinking, well, this guy's just some psycho. To me, I'm just like, that's oh, just some drunk old farmer. Yeah, I'm going to do this to end the Yeah, and I'm just like, I just want to, in my mind, I'm thinking, we're out here hunting, and this guy could know all the farmers around here. You know, we're just trying to keep the peace, keep the thing level. We're not trying to ruffle any feathers. We're not trying to upset nobody, and that's... I guess it kind of sounds weird saying, why would you get out of the car? But it was just kind of a, he's a local, we're not from here. You know, he could, you know, have a bunch of, you know, he may live down the street. He may this, that, and the other. And like, we're just trying to be nice. Like we're out of towners, Mm -hmm. but you also know he's drunk. Yeah. But not telling the truth off the bat because you can see in the application, the landowner's names around you. So so. I I think my perspective on it was a little different than Thomas's. And I think, We'll get to kind of the lessons learned or takeaways at the end. <clears throat> I know one of Thomas's, but my alert was on immediately because the first thing he asked us is how much money we had. And he had no reason to stop and, and start interrogating us. Like, 
I feel like 99 times out of 100, whoever's driving by is just going to roll on by. They don't care. But he like saw us and stopped and is immediately asking us about money. And then he's saying, get the F out of the car. And I understand Thomas's perspective on it. But for me, I could kind of already see like he's not in a, in a normal state of mind. And Thomas is in the passenger seat. I'm in the driver's seat. So I'm getting a little more, little more of a visual and things like that. And I just like, my red flag was up immediately. And I was like, this is probably going to be an issue. We just got to get past this. Let this guy, you know, move on along. We'll go our separate ways. No big deal. You're, you're basically just looking for your out, you know, as quick as you can get uh, it. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't realize how long that this was going to take to find that out. He attached onto us like a leech. Like he latched onto us and almost would not let us go. Um, and I'll get into more of that here in a minute. But so then he starts, we're sitting there talking and he just starts saying like crazy things about how he's like, I can see it in all of y'all's eyes. Y'all know who I am. He's like, y'all know exactly who I am. And I'm not like, I'm not going to say what he said his nickname was, but he said it was some world famous rapper and from North Dakota. Yeah. <laughs> just world famous rapper. There's and only we, one world famous rapper from North Dakota. His name was Khalifa. Is he actually from North Dakota? He's from North Dakota. Fun fact of the day. Thank uh, you, Bill Thompson. Why not North Dakota? So he's telling us these crazy things. He's telling us he owns the land. He's telling us he's a world-famous rapper. He starts uh, – well, actually, one of the things, too, is he starts, like, almost interrogating us. Like, he doesn't believe we're hunting. He thinks that we're, like, the feds or police or something like that. And I was like, I was like, we're not police. And he was like, it wouldn't matter if you were the effing police because I'm 6'4", 220, and, like, I would, you know – that y'all police ain't nothing to me. Like, you know, I'll take anybody kind of, kind of talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, again, we're trying to be nice. We're trying to keep him calm. He, it seemed like he's teetering back and forth between like this really aggressive state. And then this kind of like, you know, buddy, buddy state. And we're trying to keep him on the buddy, buddy side. So he asked me a question. <clears throat> I'm trying to answer in like a nice way. And he immediately fires back at me and basically says, like, don't you effing talk while I'm talking. He's like, don't you effing interrupt me. He's like, I'm talking. He's like, that's rude. You sit there and you listen. And we're, again, we're sitting there and I'm, I'm just like, holy crap. This is like, you know, this is not like, I'm trying not to keep, we're trying to keep this guy from not getting too agitated. He's then, this is when for me, it starts getting uh, a little crazier. So he's got, he obviously hopped out with a beer. He's got a bullet around his neck on a necklace he's wearing an nra shirt and an nra hat and in my mind i'm like what are the odds that he's got a gun in this truck pretty freaking high 712 percent. and then he goes he's like y'all are looking for deer he said i just saw a buck you know 20 yards away and he's like i could i i should have shot it with my nine millimeter it's like i'm I'm paying attention to these things and Mm -hmm. i'm like he's got a gun in his car we have nothing we're out of towners you know, this is not something we saw foresaw coming at all. Yeah, we all flew here, so we don't have yeah we don't have our handgun. Thomas had a pocket knife, but and I had my bow in the back of the car. But aside from that, like this guy is the wild card that we don't know what he's got. We don't we can't tell if he's got anything in his waistband or anything like that. What I can tell you is that he did have a a knife in his pocket, mm-hmm. and then he starts going on about how uh, he was in the military and he was in Afghanistan and that he's killed all of these people, stacked all of these bodies and how he would, you know, walk up and shoot someone in the head. No problem. Like it was nothing. And then he looked at us and was like, and I would, he, he, he was 
I don't know if he was just lucky in his wording or he was careful in his wording. He didn't say, he never said, I will kill you or I will slit your throat. He said, and I could slit all three of your throats right now. And he's got a pocket knife, you know, in his pocket. So we're like, again, we're trying to laugh it off, trying to be like, haha, you know, good mm-hmm. joke. Like, we're just keep calm. Like, this dude was just looking for, I, I still don't know what his intention was. If he was looking for, he probably didn't know. Maybe, yeah, I don't, maybe not. So um, you, you probably couldn't tell, like, he's obviously on something, like, he, that's altering his mental state. But even on top of that, maybe this guy's some, got, got some kind of mental health issue and he might just go off the rails PTSD. at any point. I mean, he's, he's saying he's in the military and it's like, does he have PTSD? He could totally have some sort of mental disability where it's like, you know, this is almost like the kind of stuff you hear about in the news that you just happen to run across the wrong person at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's hard to probably, in, in describing this story, like explain how caught off guard we were, how naked we felt being almost defenseless with no weapons. And it's like, I know that me, Thomas, and my buddy could take this guy three-on-one fight, but he's got a knife in his pocket. And, you know, he's going to – that's the last thing we're trying to do here. Yeah. If we jumped this guy and got into a fight with him, he's probably got, you know, 20 other local buddies – that are, you know, rough dudes and we're trying to hunt this area. Who's to say he's not going to come back and, you know, with his buddies and find us. And so again, that's what we're trying to do in our mind is like, we want to hunt this area. We're trying to just let this thing breeze through, like let this guy do his deal, get him on his merry way and everything will be fine. And it went on so much longer than we thought because the guy just attached himself to us. It was like, there was no getting away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was literally like the guy talked for the whole time 25 minutes i mean barely even got a word in yeah and that's what that's what that's what yeah um sorry to interrupt you but that's what uh struck me immediately was lee had told me we just ran this guy like 15 minutes ago and lee gave me a diatribe Mm -hmm. of things that he'd said that he had said and i'm like how does even someone fit how does someone even fit that into 15 minutes of talking he was all over the place that's what threw me for a loop too was like the guy was obviously intoxicated had a beer in his hand but the guy never slurred a word one time Mm -hmm. probably had uppers so he had some kind of like boy was he was on it but like his stories would never finish he'd be talking about something and then he'd see that you had a shirt on that had a bow and then just off down another trail yeah and so, I mean, that's how we covered a myriad of all these things that he had supposedly done. And when we were running them through Bill, that's why Bill was like uh, in a disbelief on how it was all going down. Yeah. So then he jumps into talking about women and how he's had, uh, I don't know how else to say it. He has had, uh, he has slept with 450 women in his lifetime and now he tries to sleep with a a baker's dozen women every month, 13 women every month. And then he starts talking about how he had this ex-girlfriend that robbed him for 40 grand and that he was going to take her camping and basically that she wouldn't be coming back. Basically saying like he's going to take her camping and go kill her. Mm -hmm. Um, So he brings us to the back of the truck and he's, he's pulling out all these liquor bottles and he's got like a cooler in the back there. He's got all kinds of stuff. He pulls out a liquor bottle. He's trying to get us to start drinking like liquor and we're like, dude, we're not, we're not drinking, like, we're not doing that. And he's, he kind of got like, I kind of read the room as in like, this guy's looking to get pissed off about anything. Mm-hmm. Like he's look, it was like 
a light switch I feel like could switch at any time if for, for whatever reason something we said pissed him off, that it would just a light switch would go off. And so he was like offering us liquor and beer and stuff and we're kind of rejecting it. And I could sense he was sort of like getting offended by that. And, and I was like, yeah. he said he had water and Gatorade as he was handing us liquor and stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'd love a water just to <clears throat> accept something that he had as, as kind of keep trying to keep this buddy, buddy thing going. Apparent compliance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the entire time we are looking for an out. We don't know when that's coming. Like he's already lingered around way longer than we thought. And um, then he's like, he still can't believe that we're hunting he tried to get me to like get my bow out and shoot a posted sign on a telephone pole, and I was like, "Dude, I'm not doing that." And he, you know, just kind of bickered back and forth with me on that. Um, and so then, Thomas, you're gonna have to help me out. There's a lot that went on, but yep. Um, so then he st- he kind of like started digging into like trying to read our eyes and and say that like, "Oh, you're." you probably get this kind of women and you probably do this and this, that, and the other. And mm-hmm. just like, like biz- bizarre talk. Yeah. Like I said, off the wall. I mean, going from Afghanistan to women, to being racist. I mean, call us racist <coughs> at one point. Needless. Just, I mean, there were nothing, nothing anyone ever said was anywhere even close to that. And then, like I said, I mean, he was just all over the place. Yeah. yeah he was- also was like scrolling through his phone, like trying to show his pictures. He was taking, and he said that he's like, oh, you'll, you'll probably see pictures of this isn't exactly what he said. But this is what he said. You'll probably see pictures of my junk on here. He's like, girls, they're, he's like, they're in a line and they pay me a hundred dollars per picture of my junk. They'll and they pay me a hundred bucks a pop. Yeah, just you know stuff like that. And it's like, you know, that's weird. Yeah. So we can clearly tell that this guy's in a extremely weird state of mind, and in my opinion, like he's. We're trying. We're trying to keep the peace. We're trying to keep the calm. I'm treating it as if he has a gun in his car, and if he had gone to his his door, that's when I I would have probably tried and like grabbed him by the in a, in a chokehold or something and taken him to the ground, and we all would have probably tried to defuse the situation at that point. But he's got a knife in his pocket, and he's talked about how he's got a gun, how he was shooting at this deer that he just saw a nine millimeter. Um, <laughs> So, anyways, we're trying to keep the situation calm, and he's like, you know what, y'all are deer hunting. He's like, why don't? He's like, come back to my house. He's like, I, I got deer. I'll, I'll, you know, put you on deer. And in my mind, I'm like, he's, he was like, follow me. And I was like, perfect. He's gonna get back in his truck, and we're gonna get in ours, and we're gonna. Oh, he also said when we were standing around, he was like, turn the effing car off now. Yeah, it was the first thing when we got out of the car to shake his hand. Huh, sitting there, cold. well, it was like, and he didn't say it in like a turn that car off like make you feel like he's gonna rob you kind of tone he's like turn the car off like we're just chilling you know we're bros yeah. if you don't turn the car off then but it was why it don't was, you like me kind yeah. of thing yeah. but it was a turn the effing car off yeah well, but yeah. In, in the exact way thomas that, described yeah, yeah he was saying mm-hmm. effing every other word so that just kind of goes without saying yeah but so he's like saying all right he's like y'all follow me back to my house we're gonna uh i'm gonna show y'all where some beer at I don't care about deer at this point. Like we're just trying to get out of this situation and keep doing our own thing. So I'm like, perfect. We're going to get in our car. He's going to get in his and we're peeling out of here. This dude will never see our, see us again. He's going to eat our dust as we're peeling out of here. Um, he kind of looked at Thomas and he was like, he was kind of like, you know, he was looking at one of us and was like, you know, one of y'all are riding with y'all. One of y'all are getting in the truck with me. One of y'all are riding with me. And again, like we're trying to just like this guy's one step away from flipping a switch and, we're trying to just like 
not disrespect him, but sort of play cool, play it cool, be cool. And so we didn't really respond to him or whatever. And then he, he looked at my buddy and that's from here and was like, he's like, he's like, here, he's like, you're, you're driving, you're driving the truck. And he was like, I've, I've been drinking too much or, you know, whatever. Like, he's like, you're driving my truck. Mm-hmm. And it, again, at that point, it's hard to like, you know, I, I feel like y'all would probably ask like, why wouldn't, why would you get in this car? Why would you do that? Uh, that seems stupid. But at the time it's like, this guy was a hothead and what could be triggered at any second. So we're just trying our best to like go along with it, find our exit. So my buddy gets in the driver's seat of his truck and we're sitting there looking at each other like, you know, what, what are we doing here? Like mm-hmm. we're trying to, what, what's our plan to get out of this? And he, this guy was pissing on the backside of his truck and I'm looking at my buddy in the car and I'm telling him like, dude, get in my car now. I'm like, get out of the driver's seat, get in my car now. And we'll like, get out, come on. And he was just like, basically it was, it was too small of a window. He came and, and the guy got back in the car and so off they go and, you know, we're following him in the behind yeah, I mean, at this point. We're right behind him. And, yeah. and this is the time where it's like at least you got an opportunity away, you know, separate yes. from him. You can start using your phone, contacting. That's the first time that we were able, were able to get word out of like, hey, we're kind of in this sticky situation. We're with this guy that we don't know what his motive is or what's going on. And we called Bill. So I called Bill and I'm like trying to explain this situation to him. And he's like not believing me because it's. I understand that because it's so extreme. I feel so bad right now. But I, dude, I totally get it. And so I literally was like, Bill, I don't know. I was like, I was, I was about to lose it. Yeah. Because I was being serious. And so I took a picture of the of his plate, his truck. I sent it to Bill. We stayed on the phone with Bill basically all the way until we got there. I was sharing my location with uh, you and Ashley mm-hmm. so that you guys could track where we were going and where we were going to be. Yep. You had a, a a local buddy who's a sheriff. Yep. That you kind of relayed this information to, and so, anyways, we go the fifteen minutes, and we we pull back into this guy's house where he's living, and there's some other like sheds and stuff around. Well, he he tells my buddy to pull around the back side of this shed, and, I'm, and there's like his there's driveway, a tractor and, barn, there's yeah, a big, big barn. So he pulls around back of the barn, and I'm like, dude, I'm not. I called my buddy. I'm like. I'm not driving back there. It's like, I'm not driving behind this shed in the woods for whatever this dude wants. Mm-hmm. And he was, I, he was like, no, he's like, it's fine. He had talked to him the whole car ride and he was telling about how he was expecting a, a kid. And like, you know, this, they kind of connected in a way because this crazy guy was saying that my buddy reminded him of his son and stuff like that. So my buddy was trying to play into that and like, you know, have this crazy guy like my buddy, so the guy gets out of the car and goes into the woods to take a piss. Mm-hmm. At that point, I'm on the phone with my buddy and I'm like, dude, like, we're not going back there. Like, like we need to bail. And he was like, it's, he's like, it's fine. Everything's, everything's cool. And at that point, the guy starts walking back to us and he walks towards me, Jace, he walks towards me. Yeah, my buddy telling you about the farm property because he's like these are where the deer are. Yeah, mind you, this guy's just—he don't actually own this land. No, he he's doesn't. Just living there. That's what he was. Another right. thing too. He's like, you know, this, this is my property. All this stuff. Like, he doesn't own the land at all. He had no no reason, no rights to give us hunting access there. Yeah. And I think at this point in time, this is about when like 
Bill was on the edge of like, I think, I think this is real. And mm-hmm. yeah. I think Johnny Ash and I were listening. We saw the picture and like, well, why would he, why else would he send a picture? It's a pretty elaborate plot. Yeah. You know, if you were pulling off a prank and like the stuff that you were relaying, it's like, that's kind of a lot of stuff to make up. Yeah. You know, it's all over the place. Yeah. It's probably real. Yeah. So this guy comes back out of the woods and uh, again, I'm looking for opportunities to leave. Uh, my buddy comes out and starts talking to Thomas and, not even on purpose i think my buddy turned his back and said something to thomas and turned his back towards this crazy guy and this dude snapped on my buddy he was like don't you effing turn your back on me he's like that's dishonest talk and that i think is when thomas's yeah instinct sort of kicked in as in like at this point like i'm still up until now i'm like this guy is just off the wall he's just off his rocker it's I'm not thinking he's a, dr- my, he's a drunk guy. Yeah, I'm just in my mind. I'm like, he's just some drunk old dude. Like he's not. He's dangerous, but in my mind, I'm like, I'm not. He's not threatening. I'm yeah. like, well, he still want to just kind of diffuse the situation without anybody getting upset. We're not mm-hmm. trying to. But everything he said in the context of like a bar. Yeah, exactly. If you place that guy in a bar at two a.m., it's a different. Story. This is just drunk butt. Yeah. Yes, yeah, just drunk guy. He's just. My thing was, he was just trying to be the big dude in the room. Yeah, he was just trying to. Hey, these some out of towners. I'm just gonna come. Like he just sounded like some guy who just wants to be the big man. Yeah, and so we were trying to let him play his game and just kind of get out of there without without anybody getting pissed off. But as soon as he snapped at the boy, at our buddy, and he glared at me like he snapped at my buddy, but he glared at me because I was like the one. He's like, "You're the one talking. I don't trust you." Because up until now, I've been kind of letting Lee and my buddy do a lot of talking. Like he just wasn't. I wasn't doing a whole lot of talking. And at that point, I was like, all right, this guy's off his rocker. I was like, this guy is on edge because he's going right from being buddy-buddy to like, hey, don't you dare do that. Yeah. You know. like I feel like he was constantly <clears throat> analyzing us and like looking for mm-hmm. any reason to snap. And that's why like I was trying to treat it with such delicate hands early on because this guy's trying to make it up his mind. Like, what? It, and in my mind, too, I'm like, what is this dude's intention for – on this dirt road, finding this car and stopping and, and getting into all this mess. Like, what is his intention? And I think, thank God there was three of us grown men in the car because, like, I can't imagine if it was just me or just Thomas or, uh, right. you know, something like that where it would be more of a situation where I feel like this guy feels like he may be able to take advantage of it. He's clearly in money trouble. And it's like, I still don't know what his intention was. It could have just been drunk tomfoolery. Like, he didn't even know what he was doing. But how many times have you heard, like, you know, if this guy would have said, Hey, get out of the car. And we're like, no. And he brandishes his nine millimeter handgun. Now he's like, Hey, get out of the car. He could have easily taken us into this tree belt and, and robbed us and killed us right then and there. Nothing we could have done about it. Yeah. Um, and so anyways, like I, I'm just trying to be as, as cautious as I possibly can up and up to that point. Uh, that, that's kind of when he snapped at our buddy was when Thomas, I think everything went on full alert. Mm Mm-hmm. So we're going back to, he's like, you know, having us go back to his house and he tells Thomas and I, I think we were all supposed to like walk behind his house. He was like, you know, there's apples back there. Like there's deer sign all over. There's a bunch of big deer or whatever. So like Thomas and I kind of walk back there and we're just like, you yeah, know, well he was like, y'all go back here. Cause this is like a barnyard and this house that he's, that he's in is right off to the side of it. So he was like walking us through there and showing us where these supposed deer live down in this bottom. But he said, I feed a bunch of deer off my back off my back porch in the backyard, and he had an apple tree. And he was like, y'all all go back there and look at it, you know, go see the deer sign. I'm going to go in the house and put on some hunting clothes. 
because he was wanting to take us down in this creek bottom and you know had part, part of me was like this guy's just lonely you know he'd been talking i about definitely think kids. he was lonely yeah he was talking about how our buddy looked like his son and you could just tell that the that his family probably didn't have a whole lot to do with him so half of you the whole time is scared the other half of you is feeling bad for the guy yeah so anyway and i do feel even on this side of the story i do feel bad for this guy because oh, yeah. he is lonely for yeah. sure um so thomas and i kind of walk in the back because he you know just just kind of you know doing what he said yeah trying to be cool so he takes my buddy and they go inside and 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 i'm like oh my god you know what's what no telling what's going on inside there we see him walk out with a gun yeah and And he's got a our buddy's story too from walking inside was when they were riding over in the truck he was telling him about all the all all the guns guns that he had at home because he wanted to show him his guns you know i got this one i got that so our buddy knew kind of what was what he was going in the house to show him for. Yeah. And immediately when he got, as soon as the door opens, he sees a 270 in the kitchen, and our buddy just goes right for it, just so that he's got his hands on it. Yeah. And, like, you know, that way somebody's going to have their hands on it, it's going to be him. Yeah. And obviously. And then and then the guy said, like, that the gun's loaded. Yeah. And then he grabbed there was a, a, a 22 there was, well he said there was another 22 yeah and i think that's what he walked outside with was the 22 because they mm-hmm. they put the 270 away away because this guy was wanting to sh- start shooting or something and my my buddy was like i have uh, someone shot around me you know when i was younger i already have hard of hearing like we're not shooting that gun yeah. so then the guy just resorts to having like this 22 and they walk out on the porch and and that that's when i turn around and saw him walk out with this gun and i'm like oh okay like this is not funny anymore mm-hmm. and it wasn't funny at all but at this point like there's guns for sure involved yeah. he suspected they were involved you know in his car or whatever because of the things he said now this is this is legit so and so were you starting to think at this point too when you saw the gun that okay to this point you've been looking for that out at, at any point in time did you start to think like maybe we got to take actions into our own hands like you know try and <clears throat> you know take him down or, or do something you know pin him down or like yeah, because um, you might not necessarily get an opportunity to get an out if he's got a gun, right? Yeah, I think at that point we're still trying to just like his play demeanor. It cool. His demeanor hadn't changed. Yeah, like he still wasn't like he still wasn't being aggressive. It was just off the wall, weird, very dangerous situation. But I, like I, his tone and voice was not like <clears throat> you know I'm here to hurt you. Yeah, I think people uh, listening to this might be thinking like, I would never let myself get into that situation. Exactly. I think it's important for people to understand like, escalate when escalate like you lack the context of being in the room, and that escalation, right? It's kind of like the the what frog in the frying pan or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like you keep turning the heat up, turning the heat up. You don't notice it. I've experienced that in the military. I've experienced that in my civilian life. Like you do like a post hoc on a situation. And you're like, how the heck did I let myself get into that? Mm-hmm. Like, you're able to stand outside of it and kind of like Monday morning quarterback it. Yeah. So I, I, I would bet a lot of people are listening and are like, these people are stupid. They yeah. let themselves get into a crazy situation. I mean, situation. we felt that way. But, hey. I mean, what I'm trying to do here is say it's really difficult to judge someone in these situations mm-hmm. contextually, especially when there's all of these emotions going on, like different thoughts. And even you said here, like now, you know, you had sympathy for them. Mm-hmm. Right, you're, you're trying to diffuse a situation that could, you know, it's binary. It's a binary situation. It's no violence. Now there's violence. Yeah. It's one or the other. Yeah. Right, and you're trying to keep it below that. So, mm-hmm. like, I think I, well, the reason I say this is just because I've fa- I have countless amounts of situations like that where mm-hmm. you're doing the postdoc and you're like, 
How did that happen? How did I let myself get there? So I just encourage people to take the same approach when they're listening here. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> this is a, this is a tenuous situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, and I say that because I, I've gotten training on these situations in the military. Yeah. Uh, I used to travel overseas a lot and outside of military formations going through checkpoints. I had places in Tunisia where we would get pulled over on the side of the road and the cop would just demand a bribe. Yeah. And those situations can escalate really quickly. Yeah. So they give us training on how to deal with those situations. And what I'm trying to tell people or the context I'm trying to let into people is, um, you can't do not judge these types of situations until you've found yourself in them and you see how you would act. Mm-hmm. Cause everyone watches Jason Bourne or oh, whoever yeah. and says, you know, Oh, I would do it differently or I would do this or whatever, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, it's kind of set. It's, Everyone's got a plan. I think it's Mike Tyson says everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. Oh, and, then, yeah. And, then, and then in the military, we say no plan survives first contact. Yeah. In other words, when the bullets start flying, a plan is just a list of things that aren't going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And the last thing we wanted to do was get into a fight with this guy that's got a knife. I know all three of us could have taken him, but like he's At three on one, he's going to pull the knife. You know, what if Thomas is the one who, or, or me or my buddy is the one who happens to catch it to the throat? Like, you yeah. know, like that's the last thing we're trying to do is get into any sort of confrontation. And so we, when we fo- sort of found ourselves in the middle of it, it was just like the best alternate alternate, the best route forward is to play it cool, keep everything calm and find the right out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it just like this guy latched onto us. He ne- he didn't physically make us get out of the car. He didn't physically make us get in his truck. He didn't <laughs> physically make us go back he to his car, yeah. but it was like, he latched onto us, and he was not going to let us just drive away and leave no problems. Well, that was the thing of him being lonely. was like the guy really in the mind might have been flirting back and forth between wanting to take advantage of either monetary gain or whatever, or he may have just been lonely. But regardless, his state of mind is what was putting the situation in danger. And how that's, he- that's what was keeping us in the game of being like we got to play it slow. Yeah. And how he was telling people this. Keep in mind, this is within minutes of meeting people you've never met in your life. Who is who is one that is going to be telling you about how you've killed all these people? You're about to kill your ex girlfriend, take her on a camping trip, and how he could slit all three of our throats right now. Like who says that within minutes of meeting a complete stranger? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know how are we supposed to take that? So, anyways, for the sake of getting through, I know y'all are trying to go hunt. So for the sake no, of getting no. through all this thing, uh. The gun comes out on the porch, and he puts it down, kind of like in the corner of the railing, and then he just like wanders off to this golf bag. He like hucks this golf bag in the yard, and there's like clubs he's ripping out and stuff. And then he was like again asking my buddy like, "How much money you got? Like, I bet you you can't. How much cash you got? I bet you can't. I bet you twenty dollars you can't hit that tree trunk across the yard." And he only had one golf ball. Uh, oh, so backing up a little bit, when my buddy went inside the house. This is a little bit of his perspective. There was also a, a third a third gun. It was a handgun. And it was in a holster on the kitchen table. Mm-hmm. So my buddy grabbed the 270 that was loaded and put it in the corner and was like, we're not pulling that out. This guy had, you know, grabbed a 22 rifle, walked outside with it, and then he saw the there was a handgun and a holster on the kitchen counter. So mm-hmm. then we're outside. We're hitting these golf balls. I go and I'm standing by this tree stump they're trying to hit to just throw the golf ball back to him. Well, I can see in his house, he's got all of his windows open. I can see into his house. He goes back inside. He was and, going in there and put on hunting breeches. Yeah. Uh, 
we think he was going to change change clothes. Well, he's been in there for, you know, 60 seconds, 90 seconds, a couple minutes. And instead of me, like, you know, making some sort of visual gesture to Thomas and my buddy, like, hey, let's get out of here. This is our window. Uh, his windows are wide open and he's probably can see us. So if he starts seeing me do that, like he, he could come storming out. We mm-hmm. know there's guns in the house. Right. So I'm texting my buddy. I'm like, dude, we have to go like now. This is our chance. Let's go. Let's go. And so he's kind of back and forth, back and forth. And then like I start walking back to the car. Thomas and I are kind of walking to the car. Our buddy walks and peeks his head inside. And he, this is for him when he, it triggered him and he was like, we need to leave now was he looked in and the, the handgun was no longer in the holster. So he had the hand, the guy had the handgun on him. Mm-hmm. And that's when, you know, my buddy was like, let's go. Like, this is our window. I don't, he thought he would be passed out on the couch or something, but I think he was in like a back room changing clothes or something. And we just took off to the car. We all hopped in and we peeled gravel getting out of this place. And took a bunch of different back roads and crazy alternate routes and stuff just to, you know, make sure he, he couldn't find us and stuff. And as we were peeling out, like he came out of his house onto the porch. We saw him as we were, as we were bailing out. I'm shocked that he didn't get in his truck and come after us. Like I'm literally shocked. And so we went all along this entire situation, finally found our out. Uh, and honestly, like it went on a lot longer than I had ever anticipated, planned for, wanted but it was like we found the out and we took it and we got the hell out of there because, you know, at this point, this guy's still in a crazy state of mind. Now we know he's got a handgun on him and there's guns involved and he's still like on the verge of just snapping at any given moment. And it was like that was when it was just like it hit a whole different level for us. And what we know now is uh, after Bill was able to contact some police buddies of his, and we were able to do some digging on our own. We actually know some guys that know this dude. Um, and they were like, dude, you need to stay away from that guy. Like, do, you do not want to be on his bad side. Stay, trust me, like, stay away from that guy. And we said, would he ever, you know, kill someone in, in some crazy situation, whatever. And one of the guys that's talked to my buddy basically has said, like, he, he couldn't tell him no. He was like, I... The situation you're describing and what could have happened is is kind of exactly what I've always thought that this guy was capable of. And he said like that he's always thought that this guy was a ticking time bomb for just some crazy scenario like that to happen where he's in an altered mi- mindset and gets triggered by something or other. And he's like, the guy is a ticking time bomb for something crazy like that to happen. We were also able to look up his rap sheet and he's got just a list of longer than a Walgreens receipt. Exactly. Yes. That's good. Yeah. You picked that up from us. Yeah, I did. Uh, just a, a, a massive list of charges of assault, several, I mean, countless, uh, driving under the influences, resisting a police officer. Uh, there was like some fraud charges where I think he was writing fraudulent checks. And then menacing. also the menacing one is the one that was like, not cool. Uh, menacing is basic. What do you know? What the definition? I don't of know it the is? technical definition of it. No it's basically um, making like making threats to to people. Makes sense. But it was a felony case, and I think he pled guilty, and it, and it was a uh, dropped to like a class A misdemeanor. But menacing is essentially like 
what he was doing to you what guys. he was doing to us. Yes. Bill's buddy, who's a sheriff, said that if yeah. we wanted to press charges, that we could. We're not going to. I I, I don't want to. He's already under charge. He's already getting charges filed against him for something else as well. I was told. So, yeah. Um, it sounds like the system is working this thing out as it is. But, right. You know. He obviously knows our phone number if he needs more information or yeah. something like that. And to my point is like, kind of the mindset we were in. You never know what someone is going through, what's going through their head. And that's why this was like such a touch and go sort of situation for us. And kind of, and we weren't able to strategize about this. Like we didn't talk about this, like, Hey guys, play it cool. If this happens. Yeah. It was just, it was happening and we were trying to figure it out as we were going. And, um, you know, that's my point is like, you never know when or where something like that can happen. But when you're traveling and you're hunting and you're going to all these places, like you're interacting with new people, whatever, be super careful and have friends local that you can basically kind of go to if something like this were to happen. Um, mm-hmm. Some takeaways, and then I'll let you guys go to hunt, is I'm never I'm, – I'm, I'm taking I'm, – when we're going on these hunting trips, I'm flying with a firearm, a handgun to, to take with me because I feel like um, – it would have been a totally different situation if we had had a fire, a, a handgun with us. Um, because I can promise you, we never would have gotten in this truck if we had that basically. And Thomas and I talked about this. There's a lot of takeaways, but at that point when he's saying, get in, get in my truck. If we had had a handgun with us, I basically would have said, that's not what's happening. And this is what's going to happen is that you're going to get in your truck and you're going to drive away and we're going to go our way and we're going to go our separate ways and we're never going to see each other again. And that's, this is the end of this, this little interaction we're having. Mm. And depending on how he reacted is probably when I would have made the decision. Do I actually brandish this firearm? Yeah. Um, but again, at the time it was like, we didn't know what he had could make a strong educated case that he, that he did have a firearm on him or around him when he rolled up on us. At the very least had a knife for sure. Had a knife. Yeah, I mean, my advice to people in these situations, and again, like I said, this is not Bill Thompson knows everything. This is just, you know, like I said, I've, went, I've been to training where we are told how to deal with these things. <clears throat> and like for people listening, like the best, there's two things that you can do like right away. The first thing is um, if you're in a situation where you can't remove yourself from the situation, you should be constantly working to humanize yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I was just talking to my brother on the phone. We were scouting some deer. That's I'm exactly what my, my friend tried later. to do. And, you know, Make like because what happens, especially when people are drunk or intoxicated, or when people are enraged, which sounds like it could have been all three of these things, they really just see people as objects, mm-hmm. right? And, ob- and then objects of their, and then they become you become focus of their attention, and they want to take something out on you. Yeah. So he really wasn't even dealing with you guys; he was dealing with his own issues, projecting them on you guys, and getting angry at you randomly about stuff. He didn't know you guys. Yeah. He had no reason to be angry at you guys. It's so like the first thing you can do, but if you can't remove yourself, you should always try to, in the military, we always called it get off the X. But like the X is where the bad shit's going to happen. And so do whatever you can to get yourself off the X. So it's like, yeah, hey, dude. Like, and again, I'm not Monday morning quarterbacking you because no, I'm, I have no I'm, I'm idea. curious to get your advice on like what, what advice you'd give us to handle that situation differently. I, I, and again, I'm giving, I'm, this is, I am Monday morning quarterbacking it, but I'm trying to do it for the benefit of people who might be listening. I'm right. Like, yeah. Don't take this as criticism because it's not. Um, I can't say that at this age, I would be, I could, maybe I wouldn't be acting too much different because I know I've received training on things and then the stuff happens. 
I've been through courses where they fishbowl you, where they'll give you formal blocks of training on stuff, and then they'll simulate something, and you're under surveillance, you don't know it, you're, so they call it fishbowling. So they trained you on something like dealing with an active shooter, and then they, then they simulate an active shooter, and you've got all this training, and you don't do any of it. Yeah. I can tell you that happens to me constantly. It's like you almost have to get desensitized to these things before you can act the way that you're supposed to act in the situation. So again, but you know, I talked about humanizing yourself. That that's something you should always do with these types of people is remind them that you're a human with your own thoughts and emotions and peer group and friends and family that you love and they love you, mm-hmm. and try to leverage that. Sound like he had, you know, something. Uh, he he had a son, right? So then that would be something I would instantly start leveraging. Yeah. Like, I have a son, too. He's calling me right now. He's not feeling well. Try not to lie. Like, that's another thing mm-hmm. is try not to lie because you can – it can double back on you. Say maybe you had said, hey, my mom's got cancer. She's calling me right now. I need to answer the phone. And then she calls you or whatever. And for some reason, the Bluetooth is on or something. And she, he hears that this is not your mom and your mom doesn't have cancer. Now you've enraged someone yeah. and made them upset. So stick to something that's true. So quickly think about something that's true that can humanize you and be like, hey, give us just a second. I'm taking this phone call. My buddy Bill's calling me. Take the phone call, throw the car in reverse, and get off the X. Yeah. Like that, like I know you talked about arming yourself and you should arm yourself and everyone should arm themselves, especially females. Like It's the ultimate equalizer to phys- physicality is the ability for a small female to arm herself and men should arm themselves too. But that needs to be like the absolute last thing that you do. Like, and when you shoot, you should be shooting to kill. Yeah. Like you you can't, like you had said brandish. I wouldn't even brandish. If I've committed to the idea of pulling the gun, I'm shooting him. Like it's no, I'm not brandishing and now doing a draw or a a face off of someone. It's like when, as I said before, the violence is, is binary. It's off and then it's on. When it's on, you're killing I'm not saying that to be like John Rambo. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if you're going to escalate the situation like that, it should be to defuse the situation. And mm-hmm. You don't defuse the situation. It's not like the movies where you talk someone down. It's just the pressure gets cooked up to a thousand. So, but the best thing and most, what most people should work to do and understand to do is get fast on their feet with telling the truth and humanizing themselves and then getting the hell off the X. Like, throwing the car, like we're getting the car in reverse and if that means we have to back into his car or we have to drive through a mailbox that's what you do because you'd rather be, you know, you know, explaining yourself to a cop, which they'll totally understand your situation rather than being, you know, carried in a casket by your buddies. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, <clears throat> de-escalation of the situation, humanization of the people in the vehicle. And then the moment you can get off the X and like you and people always say, you know, when do you make commit to getting off the X? And it's like, your gut will tell you, like, you'll know the moment where it's yeah. time to get the hell out of here. We hit that moment, I feel like. When he walked out on the porch. Yeah. 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 So, you know, and that's when you, you know, and you trust your gut and you go with your gut because there's, pro- and I can't prove this and I don't know this to be true. I know it to be true in other ways, but we have a sixth sense for these things. And whether mm-hmm. it's us smelling something like, because it sounds dumb, but whether it's like testosterone, chemicals, whatever, um, you know, your skin, your, you know, you get goosebumps in a situation, whatever, like something tells you at a, at a physiological level to get out of there. And that's when you need to get out of there. You need to do whatever you can do to get out. But I mean, even the most highly trained people that I know, and I know, I'm not one of the guys, but I know the guys who are like as highly trained as possible. They will tell you every time, get off the X, remove yourself from the situation, break contact, get out of Dodge. Like there's no reason to try to have a throwdown. Um, but once you've committed to the throwdown, right, once you, you're saying to yourself, I have to, 
take a gun out, it should only be to fire. You know what I'm saying? Like that, it, it shouldn't, you're not going to diffuse the situation. The situation will not calm down with a gun, especially with someone who's intoxicated. Yeah. Um, but I'm not, and I'm saying, but I also encourage people to always, you know, yeah. to carry and to take a, um, a conceal and carry class and to understand their weapon and how it works and how to conceal it and practice with it all of the time and all of those things. Um, but really it's just what, what 99.999% of people should be working to do is to, um, situation de-escalation and break contact, yeah. Yeah. get out of the area. And it's, it's not like he physically put us in a hostage situation, but he put us almost like in a hostage type environment where he latched onto us and he was not going to just let us leave. Yeah. And it also becomes a thing where people kind of use social norms against you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like they don't want, like, they you, know like, you, you can't be rude. Right. They know you won't violate certain social norms. That's yeah. what that's the way um, it felt. And it, and but they'll escalate and they'll tense right. they'll test and they'll prop and probe. Well, like, how far will these guys come with me? Right. Mm-hmm. It was like he put us in a position early on where he said he had a gun that he could have sh- a 9 millimeter he could have shot a deer 20 yards away. He starts talking about all the people he's killed, all the people he shot in the head, all the bodies he stocked in that, stacked in Afghanistan, how he could slit our throats. It's like he almost put us into that hostage type feel pretty early on where it's like this guy's got a gun and he's talking about doing these things and here we are totally defenseless with with you know no firearms we, we just have our fists essentially yeah mm-hmm. and it's just like it went on for two hours before we finally found that time to leave and so it was like honestly there's a lot of takeaways for me on what i would have done different uh it was one of the most touch and go just like really I honestly feel like, and we kind of jo- not joked about this. We talked about this in the truck yesterday. It's like almost like our lives will be different here on out. Like we will not find ourselves or allow ourselves to be found in that position again. Yeah, absolutely. It's a learning piece for you. And guys. it can happen at any time. Um, it was huge for me. Sorry to interrupt. No, you're good. Go. The The thing for me was I've, looking back on it was like I'm a super trusting person. Like I'm just, I give pe- people the benefit of the doubt especially when you're in farmland like you just want to be nice to people and i was kind of you know upset with myself because up until that guy snapped i was just like giving this guy the benefit of the doubt i was looking for a way out because we're just trying to get away but i wasn't like thinking of what this guy's capable of and saying all this to say i still feel bad for the guy i think you know if he was in his right mind he might not be that bad but you can't when your safety and the safety around you is at stake, you can't you can't prioritize having your manners. Right. You can't. It's tough though. Yeah, yeah. exactly. When you when you've had manners and respected your elders your whole life, I mean, this dude's way older than us. You know, it's it's just you're just trying to be polite. You're just trying not to make the man mad. But you need to understand, like this man is not himself right now. Yeah, and, and shitty people take advantage of that. Though. Exactly. That's what you were saying about him testing you. He's like, he's seeing how far you're willing to go on being, being having your manners and being nice. But the biggest thing for me was to say, like, if you're going to hunt across the country and you're going to travel all over the place like we all like to do, obviously be armed 100%, but that's the last option, like you said, you ever want to use. But the thing for me, the biggest thing was we just should have never got out of the car. Like, yeah. If, if the guy, I'll never get out of the car if again. If the guy says, me that. hey, I want to get out and talk to you, I'm going to be like, look, man, I like you. I just met you, but I'm going to stay in the car, and I'm going to have it in drive because yeah. I don't know you, and I've been in a certain situations. This is for me. This this ain't no disrespect to you. 
And that's kind of how I'm going to carry myself from here on out. Is like, I don't mean disrespect to you, but I have to look out for me and my, my friend's safety over, over me being polite. Yeah. And that was, that was the biggest thing for me to overcome was being polite to this guy. Yeah. But it just, it, it, it caught us by such surprise. We yeah. never, ever would have anticipated, you know, that that was how that was kind of going to all go on. But yeah, you really can't beat yourselves up about it, though, because, no. I, I mean, people, um, every, yeah. everybody's freaking John Rambo when they're hearing the story afterwards. Yeah. Everyone's like, well, I'd have done this, I'd have done that. I'd never let that happen. It's like, yeah. you'd be surprised. Like, I, I know some of the competent, most competent people in the world, most both physically and intellectually, and I watched them get wrapped around someone else's finger. Yeah, I mean, I was a I was a leader in the military for 21 years. I would watch guys wrap themselves around the finger for a woman because they're in debt or whatever, and it's like this guy is a planning genius, IQ through the roof. You know, all of you know he knows all of these things about personnel or personality dynamics, how people peer peer group peer bonding. How to diffuse situations. He's been trained on like hostage stuff. He's, you know, military free fall guy. He's planned and executed military operations. And here he is acting like a butthead on Friday night. Yeah. Um, you know, having himself up in a situation. Mm-hmm. So I just, I, I said it kind of before and I say it again. Um, you know, before you guys try to judge someone else, um, just know that you don't know how you will act in these situations so you find yourself yeah. in these situations. And that's why what we wanted to unpack this is that, like, I hope there's takeaways to people out there who think they would have handled it differently, but when they find themselves in the middle of something like that, you know, I hope that if they hear this story that they may be able to apply that yeah. if or, something like that ever were to happen to them. Or people on the other side who know that they are really, you know, um, socially conscious of not violating mm-hmm. personality yeah. dynamic norms and yeah. not trying to create issues and be complacent. And like I used the word before apparent compliance. Yeah. Um, and that's another thing that we get trained a lot on the, in the military. And I don't keep meaning to keep bringing that up. It's just my only point of contact in this situation is the military, but it's like always present apparent compliance. Yeah. Like, yes, you know, I look like I'm listening to you. I look like I'm doing what you're asking for, but really I'm looking for the door. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, this guy could have been totally at the end of his road, and he just wanted to inflict damage on his way out. I mean, it's just you never know what someone is going through. And as we were going through this entire thing, we're trying to, like, read the room, keep it, keep it calm, and try to get out safe. Thank God we are safe, and everything's fine, and everything's good. Yeah. Um, and it ended up kind of working out in our favor because, you know <laughs> – this guy, I felt like we to- he totally would have come back and come looking for us in that area. Yeah. Totally, totally believed that he, you know, if, if, if whatever was going on in his mind, he's like, you know what, I've, I want to go back and, and search that area again, see if I can find those guys. Um, we, we didn't want to – we had a good deer hunt in that area. No deer is worth your safety, especially in that type of scenario with that kind of individual, and we left the area. We didn't want to. We had dedicated all of our time to that place, and it sucked to leave. Most deer. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> but true. That was a joke. That was a joke. But um, it sucked to leave. But I'll tell you, like, it was so nice to call up my buddy, go hunt this just random place that he had never hunted, we'd never been to before. Just go in, hunt, like, fun hunt, and not worry about, you know, anything. Just go hunting. Yeah. And it was so nice. It just almost, it felt like everything melted off of us going in and, and hunting 
and just a fresh place. It took all the pressure off. We were just there for fun. I told Thomas in the tree, I was like, if we don't see a deer, I, honestly, I don't care. This is amazing. I feel great. I'm so glad to be here. And I'll also you know, say, seeing the raw footage of the video, mm-hmm. y'all are on your game that night. Like, I don't, yeah. I'm, 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 not, I'm not joking either. Like, I'm not saying that just because it's a Seek One video or whatever. Generally, you guys are always on your game. But you guys went and cold sat a tree that you climbed up on your own. You got up in there. The camera work was awesome. The lighting was amazing. The footage of the deer was amazing. Lee's reaction was genuine and amazing. Like, the whole video was just, it's just, <clears throat> you know, you, you can see, like, the videos of guys killing the 220-inch deers. Mm-hmm. And you can have fun doing that. And there's an element to that that's great. But I, and Garrett and I stayed up till all hours of the night talking about this last night. But when it's like the genuine excitement that comes with, like I, one of the things I love about Lee and I regard Lee and high, highly about this is that he's a positive actor in all situations. He's always po- looking at the positive in people and his situations and trying to do the right thing. And I think that aids him tremendously as a deer hunter, because mm. if you can remain positive, then you, it's... We, it's a longer story for another podcast, but essentially you won't cut corners or abandon the night or spend the night looking at your phone. You can cook up excuses for you to get lazy about your hunting. But if you're positive and you're always believing that this is going to be the sit, even if it's a random sit in the middle of nowhere on an oxbow on for, where you've never put a camera, never laid a foot down, but you're put in that situation and you still choose to make the best of it, mm-hmm. like that kind of positive reinforcement loop. You know, it helps you, it helps the people around you, and it keeps you from being lazy when you're on the stand. And so, I mean, I commend you guys, and I thought that video was awesome. It was one of my favorite videos. I don't know what it was, but like I said, the lighting, the camera work, the way it looked, the reaction, the expression, the deer itself, it was awesome. It was all awesome. It was yeah. all good. Yeah. There was a big takeaway for me from that because my reaction, uh, dude, I f- freaked out in the stand. Like I yelled, and it's, it's genuine. I don't ever, I do not ever fake that at all. I just, I love hunting so much that like when something like that happens, I just can't contain my emotions. I don't remember yelling at it. I don't remember having that intense of just like an adrenaline dump and reaction after the shot, um, that I've ever had on a deer. I don't remember, I don't remember that extreme amount of a reaction. And this is the smallest buck I think I've ever killed. Yeah. And, I and think, yeah, I'm awesome. telling you right now, so awesome. that deer means as much to me as any deer I've ever killed in my entire life. Because we worked our ass off while we've been up here and, and coming up here last year and kind of picking up where I left off last year. And then the day that we had with just like that whole situation and kind of just like regrouping, going back out there and just hunting again and having something like that happen, even though it's like maybe 120 inch deer at best. Uh, I'm so proud of that deer. It is not the size of the rack that makes the hunt. Obviously, like you said, there's an element of a big deer that's cool. I've been guilty of it my whole life. Like, and that's my passion is that I'm impassioned about chasing big deer, but it is not always about the size of the rack that makes the hunt as special and incredible as it is. Even though that is one of the smallest deer I've ever killed to me, it deserves just as much celebration as a 200 inch deer, uh, because it meant that much to me and the whole experience (coughs) of it, like the camaraderie of all the people that were involved, all of us being in camp, uh, to me, that's what hunting is about is the camaraderie of it. Those just, you know, amazing moments that where the magic happens in the woods that we all re- work really hard for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love, I love deer camp. Like I, and I didn't get to experience it growing up, but like I've been through like two or three pretty good deer camps now yeah. in my life. And I hunted alone when I was younger, but I mean, 
last night even sitting with Johnny and Garrett, it was, you know, we got back at 1030. We started talking deer and life. And the next thing I knew it was two two thirty. Yeah. And it felt like, like that I, I could sum up everything we talked about in about 15 minutes, but we just sit there, sat there and extrapolated on every facet of life. And it, and I don't remember exactly what it was that Johnny had said last night, but it was like, um, you know, uh, it's the same with deer hunting in life. Like it's like if you if you approach it with the same ideal, like you'll be successful in both. Yeah. You put the hard work in, you know, you 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 discipline yourself and you um, don't cut corners, and you work hard and you say I aimed at the right ideal and things good things will happen to you. Yeah. And that to me is a consistent like message that I didn't learn until I was like four thirty seven, yeah, thirty six. Like in all honesty. I've been in the military for 15 or 16 years before I learned these things. I, before that, I was maybe culturally doing those things, you know, but I really hadn't seen it pay off. <clears throat> and so, you know, that's why I commend Lee. It's why I commend you on the work that you did on the video. It's just like it's obvious when you're watching these things that you guys are, are aligned in the right way and that you're good people. And I think it bears itself out in the content that you guys create. Well, we appreciate that. That was a... I mean, for me, like Elton, too, just sitting in the place we were hunting, the journey to get there. I mean, yeah, we left that area. And, all, I mean, hunting out here all together, it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, we're mm-hmm. from Georgia. We don't get to see stuff like this. So, you know, just having the journey of going to hunt these places is, I mean, that's half the fun. Yeah. Just sitting in that little bottom, creek bottom right there was cool. I mean, I ain't I ain't hunted in a tree that big. That, big, that tree was giant. I mean, Huge. a couple hundred years old. Yeah. Yeah you know and it was no trail cams no nothing it was just like the kind of the excitement it injected a whole different level of excitement to you never know what's what's about to happen you never know what's around yeah um that ultimate surprise of like seeing a deer for the first time while you're in the hunt is just like something that i don't get to do that much but something i want to do a lot more of because it's just a really fun and exciting way to hunt yeah. Um, and that deer has been around for, you know, three or four years. Well, however long it's been around, it's like your paths oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. come together and collide. Right. And, and what like, are the odds? What are the odds of that? And like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's one of the things I use to motivate myself. Like the deer's my next year is out there somewhere. Yeah. He doesn't know it. I don't know it, but it's going to happen. Oh yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah. Like as long as you, you keep working towards it. I think that's pretty awesome. Well, I need to let you guys go. Y'all got deer to kill yourselves. Um, Garrett, I know you're closing in on some. Bill, I know you're closing in on some good areas too. We'll see. We're, I, I, at least I'm marking off where the deer aren't. <laughs> <laughs> that's part of the process. Right, man. exactly. Yeah, that's half, half the battle. Half of it's where not I got, to go. Yeah, I got to be positive. Stay positive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's out there. Um, but I appreciate you guys hopping on. Uh, good luck tonight. I've enjoyed this week. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, buddy. Glad yeah. you guys are here and safe. Cool. See you guys.